Yo, Chuck, run up power move on him. something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours. Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. This is the Brooklyn Combine. Tonight we have a very special guest. Let's do a quick roll call. This is Phil. Ken Montgomery. Derek Shung. And honored to be here. This is Gray Williamson. So for the audience out there, our listening audience, um, we're at the Brooklyn Combine. This is the Brooklyn Combine, and we have um, a good brother with us, Gray Williamson. He's a yeah, super talented. Um, yeah, you know, talent is uh, abundant. The illustrator, artist. I don't even know where, where to begin with your skill set. You got an interesting story. We don't get to the story, but your skill set. What would you say your skill set is? I would have to say that uh, uh, without a better way of describing it, I'm just an artist. And not artist, just a visual artist, but I create, you know, the, I, I do the art of creation. I tell stories. I mean, I'm, I write, I draw, I animate, uh, I used to do some spoken word back in the day. I mean, whatever it is that it takes to communicate something is is what I do. How'd you find your purpose with that? Or how'd you find your path? I don't know. Um, I had an interest in it when I was a little kid, but I got taken sideways. Uh, where I grew up, it was kind of tough. And, and being an artist was not necessarily looked at as... Is, that wasn't a thing. No, In best thought, I wasn't. A thing. No, no, no. It wasn't about that, and I was about that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't come back to that until I was. Uh, I had a little accident. I was a teenager, hurt my back, and I was crippled for a while. And when I was crippled, wait a minute, wait a minute. How you? How you? How you get crippled? How you? Man, I had a little freak, little accident playing ball. I was, I was, uh, I was obsessed with basketball, and I was on a rim one day trying to be stupid and I felt a little funny thing in my back and I didn't know that I had damaged the disc mm-hmm. and over a period of time it started putting pressure on my spinal cord to the point where my body was in spasms so I couldn't walk couldn't straighten up mm-hmm. it just got worse and worse and worse until they, they were telling me at one point I wasn't going to be able to walk again Wow! Um, and I was sitting there not able to move and I picked up a sketchbook and started drawing again mm. after having done it as a kid and uh, and then once I was able to uh, defeat that situation, at least to a certain degree, I was I became obsessed again with uh, with physicality and things of a physical nature. You look like you study the arts, martial arts, a little bit, a little, little bit, a little uh, bit. Uh, and uh, I, I was just obsessed with that. And then I, it got to a point where you know I I used to be a childcare worker, and. Um, I used to be a childcare worker, and to keep me going while I wanted to do the things I wanted to do. And ultimately, man, it was like I was at one point working in a prison, juvenile. I was working in this juvenile correctional. No, I used to get we used to get people from Spofford. I was working in Goshen Secure Facility. Oh, okay, I know. 
and I'm in there and I'm doing what I'm doing there and and uh it was depressing. A lot of these kids that I was seeing there were I knew them from being on the street here in Best Eye. And some of them were under younger brother's ID. Mm-hmm. They were actually older than I oh, they were older than I was. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh and they would be locked up. And I'm talking six to life, like a third of the people in there were lifers. What, what what period is this? This was like uh, 81, 82, 83, 84. That was like, you was... J.O.'s Wiles. Yeah, J.O.'s Wiles, and you was, some serious stuff was happening yeah. in, in yeah, Brooklyn. I was, I was the youngest cat ever to, to work in an environment like that. Uh, and a lot of these guys were older than I was, and they knew me from the streets, and I would see them, and they would have to, like, ask me to use the bathroom. And I, you know, you know, and it was crazy in there because it was a corrupt situation. And like, I'd be in there working and you have staff that was buying these kids off, buying these young, young people off. They'd feed them drugs. They'd feed them all kinds of shit. You know, they had their whole little thing happen and I wasn't involved in any of that. So like, I would just come into work and I would go home and I come into work and I would go home and I just did played by the rules and that's what it was. But I treated them like men. Because mm-hmm. they was getting a lot of them getting you abused in there. They were supposed to be 14 to 21 years old. And it was mostly like, I would say, 16 to like, there were some cats and there was like 24, 25 year olds. Mm-hmm. It wasn't supposed to be, but that's what they were. And you had some staff that was like dealing a little bit. So they getting paid. They hustling. Staff well, is hustling. Staff and then... was, some of the staff was hustling. And some of them had were formally locked up mm-hmm. and they hadn't gotten out of that. Who was who was responsible for the hiring and the administrative? Man, I don't know, process. but I don't really know. But it was really crazy because some of the staff in there was like, you know, ex ex convicts, and and a couple of them was like really together. Like they were they they should have been hired, and they were able to give a lot of these young men, you know, a, a perspective to get them on the right track. And then others was just clowns. Other yes. staff was clowns. There was clown shit going on in there. Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm, I've always had a problem with being claustrophobic. Can't stand. It's just kind of odd for me to see you working in, a, in that kind of environment. Hard. Uh, but, you know, at that time I had a kid and I had left school to take care of my kid. I had left my dream of playing ball even after I had rehab from being crippled. I had, uh, I had left, you know, that that I was so passionate about and I ended up working. But it was like I was doing what I had to do, and that was the better job in the area. That was a good job in the area. It didn't hardly pay much, but it was stable, and that's what I did. And I was like intensely claustrophobic, and you couldn't leave. And I've seen some of those facilities. They definitely they just opened up a new one, you know, because they, since they changed the age, the the, the raise the age for criminal uh, uh, culpability for young men and women, they have a new facility. I want to say it's in the Bronx. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, actually. But they, they, that's where most of the juveniles, they've taken like RNDC, which is Rikers, uh, the juvenile division. They've taken a lot of those guys, young men, out of that and put them there. Right, right. Like when I was working up at Goshen, we would get the cats that were wilding out at Rikers. They would send them to Goshen or Highland. It was Highland Correctional yeah. and Spofford. Awesome. And then they would, couldn't take, get, deal with them. Their last stop was Goshen. Growing up, that was our biggest, you know, for some of us, that was a fear. For some of us, that was a badge of honor to get to, to Spofford and, and these places, you know. Yeah, it was, you know, being working in that environment, 
Now look, I know you're an intellectual brother, and you actually know the street as well. How how what do you think it is that has from generation to generation so many young men consumed with this false sense of manhood that America has presented for them, where they find being a hustler or going to jail or hanging out on a corner or doing all those things are badges of honor. Like, how, how did that? And I feel like it's, it's morphed into something else even presently now. Like, how, how, like how did that even get started? Okay, so I, I, I'm going to try to address that sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, potential. Um, uh, possibilities. Um, managed expectations. Um, an understanding of what intellect is. Mm-hmm. When you're growing up and you move yourself as an adolescent into the environment, you are taught that if a dude speaks a certain way, then that means he's intelligent. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't have a grasp of the language, that means that he is a lower functioning. The English language, not even the original language. Yes. But this is what we don't understand. If, say you are mentally challenged, you're borderline disabled. Yeah, then sometimes, you know, you deal in clinical environments and people have the, what they call the mentality of a 13-year-old and they can't get past that kind of a thing. Well, how would they measure that? I've, under, I've been, worked in that environment. I don't know how they measure it, whatever they come up with. The psychiatrists make the decision, whatever it is. But if you're in an environment where the norm is to speak the language in a certain way, that's all you understand. That's all you hear. So if you are replicating that and, and you don't, without even an advanced intellect, you are able to replicate that and speak the language in a certain way. So you move into your environment and you sound like you are someone who should be successful in the environment because you speak the language of success. Mm-hmm. You're, you may be completely mentally challenged, but English is not your problem. So there are people who are not brought up in those environments so they don't necessarily have the same grasp. They come up in multilingual environments or, or environments where the language is not spoken that way. And they grow up speaking in Pachwas. They grow up speaking slang. And that does not translate in the world to give them the possibilities for them to think that they can, they can maneuver and have the same success as another guy. You grow up, I'm a child of the 60s. You grow up and you see success looking like something else. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like something else. And so when it looks like something else and it sounds like something else, then it feels like something else. Then you manage your expectations accordingly. So you don't fit into the world at large. You only fit into the dynamic of your block. Because all of what is around you does not translate to success, the success you see on the screen. Mm-hmm. And when you speak the language and you feel dis- you feel disadvantaged in an environment compared to someone who has a mastery over the language and that is the language of success in this environment. 
That's interesting because basically describing in some sense senses some people may have a development issue. Like the development is arrested. You got some people who they know that this is not it, but to fit in, they dumb themselves down. Those people who dumb themselves down, eventually their development, they don't, they're arresting their own development. So over time, you won't be able to distinguish between them and the person who's truly doesn't have the mental capacity to, to step up. And then you have people who are like, nah, this is not what's up. I, I, I know this ain't it. And those people are stuck in the same maze trying to figure things out. And, it, and I look at it because I go to these jails a lot and I talk to these young people and I listen. I listen a lot to overhearing conversation. And it boggles my mind how generation after generation of late, we are doing the same thing. And even of, of present day, you, we've created, we, it's almost like black, young black men speaking cliches, American urban cliches. And we live through this cliche type behavior where we actually don't know how to communicate because we haven't faced the realities of this isn't our language because I, these words, these words that we speak may mean something totally different than some people from somewhere else. And I'm, I'm often, it's intriguing to me how America has used that dysfunction for profit. So now it's profit. Like now it's cats who think that, oh, I'm not going to be like, I know you personally, like you can, you can build a house. You can build the infrastructure of a house. You can, you can do what Stan Lee did. Like you can, you know, you could do all these different skill sets and you have these young men who think that if they're not trapping, hustling, rapping, sports, they don't have an opportunity to do anything else. Okay. So in that, under, in that understanding of, and, and that's what you said is, is profound and deserves a moment, but I wasn't smart enough to give it that. Um, in that managed, uh, that lower expectation that comes first off from the, from the language, from the, from the words that are spoken to you and you're not having the same grasp as the next guy. It also speaks to the lack of tools. We are given uh, this conflict, this conflicted thing, this paradox. Like we, our parents taught us when we were little that in order for you to, to be successful, you had to be better than everybody mm. else. All white people. And then the same parents told you, if you think you're better than somebody else, you got a problem. So I see what looks like success and I don't have the same tools they have. So in order for me to circumvent that, I have to overapply myself. But if I start to overapply myself, mm-hmm. like the indication is that I think I'm somebody that I'm not or that I'm better than my own people. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. So maybe that part of that world is not for me. Maybe I'm overwhelmed to deal with that. Maybe I should just deal with what's right in front of me. And what's right in front of me is the tools that were given to me to deal with. In many cases... You know, we are given the tools to be a hustler in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so that I can take that 
and then work with that, and then I'll figure the rest of it out later. It's, it's funny you say that. You may, I'm reading this book um, called Locking Up Our Own now, and it's really talking about um, how, like, like you know, the in the crime waves, right? That came like you were a child of the '60s, so you understood what you know. Crack, I'm sure, was was like, hold on, what is this? But you saw heroin, you know. And we've had these these crime waves, and it's almost like our black political leadership, the lawyers, the people who supposed to know what to do, who understood white supremacy and racism. When this thing started jumping off, they were like, "Yo, lock these niggas up forever." You know, non-crime, drugs, drug deal, yo, send them, like, yo, get them, and, and we're going to have another conversation. We got to take a break. All right, we're going to come back.
I know you also have personal experience as a child of the 60s and a, and a resident of, of Bed-Stuy when people were like destroying the neighborhood and the action you took. We're going to get to that as well. But these people who were in position to have foresight to say, hey, wait a minute, the real issue here is education, poverty. Um, let's figure this thing out. They got on board with what white people's interpretation of what needed to be done. Well, what you're dealing with, and, and I'm going to say some things that I'll probably get in you trouble. Ain't no filthy. You ain't yeah, I'll probably get in trouble. trouble. We, we got your back. Well, what you're dealing with is the beaten program mindset. It's the same program mindset that labeled uh, Malcolm X a troublemaker. It's the same thing where they tell you that all your progress has to go through the Christian church. <laughs> like, you have people who are, for lack of a better word, trained. Mm-hmm. So, they've been conditioned and trained that you can only be and be, be, be a certain kind of person and behave a certain kind of person in an environment if you play by the rules. Because if you don't play by the rules, not only will you damage stuff for yourself, but you'll damage it for, for everybody okay. else. You know, you have people, uh, uh, a generation of people who came up in an environment where the media was completely controlled. So the only thing that was drummed into their head as they were, as they were growing up is how their relatives and how they survived because they learned how to play by the rules in society. And then every now and then something could happen, like what happened in Tulsa, what happened in Rosewood, and even playing by the rules. If you bring too much attention on yourself, you could get wiped out. Mm-hmm. So, you have people who were looking at people who were misbehaving. And they were like, if I can't beat you into submission, because what we what we learned to do with each other, mm-hmm. if you were acting out, then tough love said, mm-hmm. lock those niggas up. Yeah. Whoop that nigga. Whatever. Whoop like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's how he, I guess he hard headed. Yeah. I guess that's how he gonna learn. Mm-hmm. And that was the mentality. And we were dealing with each other like beasts instead of like intellectual, Mm -hmm. spiritual beings. And it's like the only thing that breaks bad, uh, a a negative behavior for you is is the rod. So the problem with that is, and this is what they don't tell you. The problem with that is, is that that was not our only success here in this country. Mm You have families that during slavery rolled up, left plantations, rolled up into the mountains and locked whole mountain ridges down. Mm-hmm. You had, they locked them down to such significance that the clan was afraid to go up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. You left it alone because the such and such family was up there mm-hmm. and that community was up there. You left that alone. There's a TV series uh, on Netflix, I think you can find it called Justified. Justified, yeah, Justified. It's about some, you know, uh, about a guy who used to be a white hillbilly, mm-hmm. and he ends up going to be a police officer in Miami, and they send him back to 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 be a hillbilly to deal with his own people. And at first, I was like, this is not really something that I would have interest in. 
Mm-hmm. And one day while I'm working, I'm, this thing goes on, I put it on, and I'm watching it, and it's, you know, it's shot very well. The script is down, the dialogue's pretty sharp. So you get caught up in it. And halfway through the, 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 the season, this first season, they start to expose the truths, that I, things I know to be true, mm-hmm. that nobody ever wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. And there's a family that lives up in the woods, a black family, and they go and and, uh, and the uh, people that are in the environment that the, all the criminals, all the all the white criminals are like, nah, it's the devil's mountains up in there. Mm-hmm. You don't go up in there. They got a whole little society, but mm-hmm. you 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 don't mess with them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I had never seen or heard of that in in the media yeah, you before. Know, you know what's that, powerful about that too, Greg? Sorry to cut you. Like that's what we need to do, but we're afraid to do that. Like we need to step away from the spectacle and the spectrum and start going, living inward, outward. We're living outward, trying to find inner peace. Yeah, but in, not of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like we, Look, we're we, afraid. We, what it is is that we've been trained through the church and through schools and then through the media. We've been trained. We, our success has been defined for us. Yeah. Our happiness has been defined for us. Absolutely. You got brothers who work in the system 25, 30 years, 35 years, and they retire. They don't know what to do with themselves. No. They have no idea even what makes them happy. Yeah. They feel they've been doing what they need to do to get effect. They don't even know what happiness means to them. Mm-hmm. They sit there and they're like in their houses and they're like, get depressed. Mm-hmm. They, they got to keep working and they feel like they're going to die. We don't even know. We have been trained not to address those things for ourselves. So you got them cats on the back to them cats on the corner. It, it said, and it's something you were saying before we started uh, air recording, is there, there's this generational memory thing that passes through and trauma that passes through and it never goes on, it's never checked. If nobody says, yo, you know what, this is not happening anymore. I have a good friend of mine. He said he watched his father on his deathbed. He's a very close friend of mine, like a brother like you, child of the 60s. Y'all 60s cats, like, y'all a special group of people to me. Different time. Different time. Like, y'all y'all were, like, it was just, it's incredible time. If you were born after 63, the world changed. Yeah, it was, it was weird. And you know what's funny about you cats? Because y'all can see stuff before y'all see this already like y'all see what this country is capable of in live time um but he was telling me that he watched his father on his deathbed and he said this place got him he said yo ken it got him and i think about my dad it got my dad it got him and me and you was just talking to your dad it sounded like it got him to a degree and he said that he had made the decision that this shit is never going to get another individual from his bloodline if he can, if he can control it and his, and it, it has to stop. And I don't think enough of us have made that decision that that has to happen. And unlike the sixties, it seemed like America went to war with, against y'all. You know what I'm saying? People don't talk about that. Like it went to war. Literally it went to war. You name them. We, we know of the Malcolms and the Martins and the Megas, and, but it was so many other yes. nameless people that you we don't even think or talk about who's just like, nah, we're not having it. And this country made a conscious decision to wipe those people out, whether it was through socialization, whether it was through jail, whether it was, you know what, 15 to 35, 
you guys, you were the enemy to this place. Uh, uh, someone who's aware, and, and and it makes me, you know, it bothers me, and it, it used to get me sad when I see how we are so broken that we are we are afraid of our own. And you know, something you said, like you 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 were living in on a notorious block in Best Stuy, right? Trying to raise a family. You was smart, you street, but cats, the gangsters is taking over at some point, right? Well, yeah. What were you thinking? When we talk about that programming thing, I'm going to tell you something about that. Like, when I was growing up, like, there was always a couple of dudes on in the, in the area that were stand-up dudes. Mm-hmm. We have a history of cats in spite of all that. Yeah, all, this is, we got heroes in the neighborhood mm-hmm. that, that were just being men, didn't even know they were being heroes. Heroes, Like, you know, there was a, a man in my neighborhood whose uh, daughter you might know, his name was Abu Bakar. I know who you're talking about. And Abu was like a rebel. Very well respected. Because you could not shake him. Mm-hmm. He was who he was in your face. Mm-hmm. And you could not shake him off of that. And when everybody else is being programmed around you, this dude was like his, he chose who he was going to be. And he was that way bold and, and, and in spite of what the world wanted. And, you know, he was one of those guys. And you didn't see that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we were close, you know? He was like a big brother to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had... a couple of big brothers and people in my neighborhood who all were like they were out and about and being men when I came I left and came back and I've been around a little bit when I came back to, to Bed-Stuy I was here during the gang era you know the aces the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, all that the Jolly Stompers all of that I was here through all of that mm-hmm. uh and in the street, wilding, all of that. Uh, wasn't in the gang. So if you weren't in the gang, you bas- basically, you had to fight and run and run and fight. And at one point, like, I was stupid, man. I, was, I said I was not going to run no more. Mm-hmm. I was 11 years old, got robbed, was about, get robbed, about to get robbed in a park. 35 Park on, Mac- on McDonough Street. Oh, McDonough, I remember that Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I was about to get robbed. I was, you know, it, a couple of cats rolled up on us with at knife point playing exactly. ball in the park I play. I lived on McDonald's and Saratoga so you know and I was like I'm not running no more I don't care I know that I'm not running whatever it's gonna be it's gonna be and it something flipped in my head and I became crazy <laughs> to the point where some people in my neighborhood I, I was always on my own people in the neighborhood was like used to like set me up to get in fights mm. and bet because I was like this little chubby kid, mm-hmm. little chubby face kid. And it was like, you know, all right, I bet he'll fuck you up. <laughs> like, you know, I was a little kid. Next thing you know, I'm fighting for my life on the, on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And I'm a kid fighting. I'm like 10 years old, mm-hmm. 11 years old. 12 years old, fighting with dudes, 16, 17 years old. And I'm stupid. I'm thinking that I'm winning because I'm not quitting. Mm. And I'm biting and scratching and people are hollering and I'm like, yeah, yeah, all right. But I'm broke up. Mm. You know, like, I'm broken up. Not realizing. That's still how you could lose your humanity 
in that. I didn't even, man, I didn't, I had no concept, life, none of that. Like, like, so here I am, I leave and I come back. Mm-hmm. When I come back, it's the height of the, uh, of the, of the crack epidemic. epidemic. And I'm seeing these dudes hanging out on the street. Mm-hmm. And I knew them when they was babies. Mm-hmm. Seeing them, you know, had a couple of them on my shoulders, walked them around, knew their older brothers and been fighting back and forth with their older brothers. And now they getting money. And now some of them is getting money and some, some of them ain't. Or hanging, or hanging around with cats getting money and just taking the, taking the dust. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And there was something else that was going on in the mid-80s that was happening at the same time that the crack epidemic was happening. You know, because things were changing in the media and stuff like that, right? So here I was coming back into this area. People afraid to come outside. And I come back here and the only job I can get maybe is trying to get a job working in comic books. So that's how you got into the graphic and the design. I had left from working in a, a working in a juvenile prison upstate. I had gotten a little, I had gotten a, a damage, lower, lower back flare up and I couldn't pass my physical. I was, you know, mm-hmm. and so I ended up leaving that. It was an opportunity for me to leave. And I come back to Brooklyn. Next thing you know, I'm trying to get a job. And I'm trying to get a job because I can draw. I'm like trying to get a job drawing. But being in that environment, there was something else that was going on. And that was the anime explosion. Mm. Mid-80s. That was when the bootleg tapes started coming mm-hmm. over. Anime started hitting. Things like... Uh, Things like Akira and Vampire Hunter D and, mm-hmm. and and Go-Go 13 and stuff like that, right? So these cats would be out on the corner. And my family was living in upstate New York, and I was visiting my kids. I was going back and forth to some horrific circumstance with their baby's mother, mm-hmm. like many of us had gone through. Mm-hmm. So a lot of time I was going to help my, myself in the house, and I'm working. And these kids would be in the corner, and like I knew them when they was babies, and they're like supposedly like... Now they tough now. They tough now. Y'all, you know, like, oh, so you frightening now. Mm-hmm. And I would snatch one or two of them up. And I'd be like, let me show you something. He's like, ghost dog. Let me show you something. <laughs> you know? It's funny because people used to say that. But, like, i snatch them up and be like, yo, let me show you something. They'd be like, yo, you ain't doing it. I'm like, I'm not, you know, what, you afraid? Mm-hmm. What you afraid of what happen when I get you to my house? What you afraid? I ain't afraid of you, son. I ain't afraid of you. And I would drag them in the house and I would put the anime on for them. And these wild ass dudes Guns would be, and I had my stereo hooked up to the, to the TV and they would be like, oh! And these cats, I was able to snatch some of them off the street and have them in there watching anime while I was drawing. Mm. But let me tell you about this whole Thing that we was talking about programming. So I was snatching these kids up and I wasn't afraid of them. They was afraid, afraid because it, that's what, you know, you try to act like you're tough because you're afraid. You're grouping together with a bunch of cats because you're afraid. And I had a little bit of a reputation, so you don't know what I'm going to do to you. You know you, you've been acting a little foul. You see me talking to your mother. Mm-hmm. And now your mother is coming out the house and she was afraid to come out the house and she's talking to me and then I see you. You're like, oh no, not this, not this nigga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we come from that tough love, mm-hmm. spare the rod. He ain't gonna fuck me up when I get, get me in the house. And I show you anime. And these cats would be like, and then I would talk to them. 
how are you doing this? this? How are you doing this? And it would, yeah, it would become different talking to them like they whole people. Mm-hmm. You know, and it got to the point when some of them would be confused and they would run up on me. Yo, dude, like, I can't figure this shit out. I'm like, well, you know, step in the house for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So let me tell you what the program thing does. There was a a, a cat who, a, a, a priest a, who was in the church across the street who was not correct. Oh, and he man. was afraid of what some of these young men who used to be in and out of the church, he was afraid of what they would tell me. Black priest? No. White priest? Yes. His name was Father Nugent. I don't have a problem mentioning yeah, the names. I don't give a shit. Father Nugent. Like so he started talking to these kids, talking to people in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and he had this bully pulpit, which was the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, they was passing word around that I was dealing drugs to the kids, and that's how I was able to get them off of the corner. Because so, why else would they be coming yeah, to my house? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, 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 yeah, that's. And the parents was willing to believe that mm-hmm. because they was. The white man telling them that. Of course. In the, the religion thing. Of course. And you black. And, and a black, black man it has no authority. No one listens to the black man to, for nothing as an authority on anything unless he acting like a white person. How can you have influence over these yeah. boys? What are you doing? Yeah. You must be giving them something. Yeah, you must. Just be, like it was when I used to work. Or you, 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 yeah. Just absolutely. like it was when I used to work in that juvenile mm-hmm. penitentiary. How come these young men pay you such respect? Because mm-hmm. I treat them like young men. You know, you're supposed to call them a certain thing, and I would be calling them young man. Mm-hmm. You know, I would call them young man. I would not call them out their names. It would be none of that. You know, and when they addressed me, I would address them. You wrong, right or wrong, you still a man. You locked up, but you still a man. You know what I'm saying? And and when people get treated that way, some of them never got treated like that. That's like better than a narcotic. Yeah, yeah. Respect is respect, like what it is. No, respect is contagious. You know, mm-hmm. so these cats would be like, they don't understand. They didn't understand. Well, you must be giving them something. I'm giving them nothing. Mm-hmm. But if I'm eating and they want a piece of my sandwich, come on, sit down and eat. Come on. Exactly. We don't have that. You mean you're going to share your sandwich with me? They didn't know what the hell was going on. We don't have that fiber in our community. That's, yo, let me ask you real quick. We're going to take a break. Who's your favorite artist? Musician. Oh, man. Give me four. Give me four. Well, Marvin right. was Marvin. Ab- absurd. Curtis Mayfield was oh, the sound of the yeah, sound of times. Richie Havens. You had uh, uh, man. You talk, I mean, I grew up with with Aretha doing something to me. <laughs> yeah, Aretha was bad too. Yo, Mo, you know what? A lot of people don't know about Aretha either. Aretha was gang. Like she had a kid at twelve. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, her, pops, yeah, yeah. her pops was a very central figure in the civil rights movement yes, as well. Yes, yes. When, when, uh, look, you know, the things that you talk about, uh, I don't necessarily have, like, like there's certain elements. Because, you, know, you know, we got music, you know, to mix, so we're going to add some music that, well, that no, try to pull grace. Uh, there's uh, elements, like, when I was, I was, like, out of my head, and I got snatched up out of here, like, close to 73, and stuck into a side of a mountain somewhere in upstate New York, because shit had gotten crazy out of here mm-hmm. and like the only thing that like kind of I was like, losing my mind and the only thing that would save my life save my life was like Earth, Wind, and Fire Earth, Wind, and Fire alright I mean save my life like a little turntable the first thing I ever money I first ever got made doing some work I had somebody get me an album 
for payment. And that was Roberta Flack, Donny Hathaway. That was uh, Fifth Dimension back in the day. But when I heard Earth, Wind & Fire, it was like a transformative thing for me. Like, just hearing that sound. But, you know, music was different. Music is the foundation of, the cu- of any culture. But we didn't realize, I didn't realize until later on how much depression we was dealing with. I didn't realize that how this low self-esteem, how much we were being programmed, even as children, and how you walk around, yes, as you walk around being, not, you know, borderline depressed, you desperate in your mind, not even realize what you're doing with this desperation. All right, we're going to take a break and come back.
just said depression. You know what I'm gonna tell you but for me. My childhood was very wild. Like it was like almost I didn't know. It's like you get you deal with so much bad stuff and dark stuff that you become accustomed to it. So then when things are going well, it's a very uncomfortable thing. Right. So now when you're thinking about that kid who quiet or he don't want to talk or he tough, that kid is just protecting himself because you think is something bad is always around the corner. Like, so you worry a lot. You get that feeling in your stomach or whatever. And you and that's partly because there is no community nurturing you. No. It's not there. No. And you and that's a realization that for me, I could honestly say up in the 25. I've like I got I me and you are very similar in the sense that once I seen how wild shit was, I was like, yo, fuck it. <laughs> like I was like, yo, fuck it. Word up. Like it ain't nah, all right. I was, you know, I ain't saying I would stop being afraid, but I was like, you know what? All right, I'll get over this fear. And then when I got, I think when I got to 25, something clicked with me where I stopped worrying. Like I didn't have that that worry thing. But what didn't stop was I still was like, you know, man, things, you know, it's a bad coming right around the corner gotta be I'm black I'm a black male like this is what and I had to check myself on that when I became a father and deep into my fatherhood you know father because I didn't want to what you said pass down those things that at least consciously I was aware of um but it's a part of for me is that community like think about it if it was at least think about it, instead of the community listening to some white funny style preacher uh priest they get behind you at that time when all that was going on that changes everything you know what i'm saying you know um you talk about the music and the music was our education back then the music was our uh therapy yo y'all music had hope like you could listen to you listen to young music, I'm black and I'm proud. Or what you know, you learn how to talk to a girl. Somebody that's what Jamel Shabazz was saying. Uh my other my other brother Tony Rico, he said, yo, the music was hopeful. <laughs> like you had hope. You know, it was in the middle of like uh it was like so 72. Like yeah, like like 72, and it was already, it was treacherous out here. It was fighting every day. Mm-hmm. It was like I remember I've spoken to some dudes who were in the music and I've actually wrote some things for them. And I'm like, I remember being a child and like you were in the, in the mirror wondering if you looked a little too soft. Yo. <laughs> you know, back in 72. That's, that's, I was born in 72, but by 1980, I had that same, it was. Doing it your was push-ups so, before you yeah, leave the house, you know what I'm saying? Like You might even be talking to yourself in the mirror, like yeah, next time the beef pop off, what you going to say, how you going to handle it? Oh. I remember, man, I remember fighting with <laughs> gangs, man, and, and surviving because I was savage. Yeah. I remember cats being like, I'd be on the verge of getting taken out. They'd be like, nah, nah that's that's my nigga right there. Don't even fuck with him. <laughs> that nigga, yo, he, that nigga's crazy. He's crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't even know. But then you thinking like, oh, okay, this is what y'all responded but, but, to. But, but, but I was, 
I wasn't even that smart. Mm -hmm. I would just lose it. Mm -hmm. I would just lose it. I had no boundaries. When they when they, it went there, it went there. Mm -hmm. And cats would be screaming, I don't care, I see blood and it would invigorate me. Mm -hmm. I didn't I was wild. And during this time, like you be in that zone. Like you walk, like I, you talked about certain things, like certain feelings you would have. Like if you went and the, 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 the sun goes down and you walking down the, you walk to look down the street and if you got a little funny feeling, you didn't walk down the street. Yeah, hell no. When you seen so something, you, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not, if you by yourself, that's all you got. So I remember feeling like that and then walking, there used to be a little hole in the wall joint, a little half a store where through Avenue meets Fulton Street, and a dude used to, the first, like, first it was eight tracks, then it was cassettes. He used to sell mixtapes out the corner, and he would play the shit in his speakers on the corner. This was right before hip-hop. Mm. Right across from what became that McDonald's. Why? And he had everything from the Delphonics and the Childlights to everything. He would have mixtapes. Mm. He would do it and sell it from out the out there. And you know, I remember being, I remember 72, feeling like that and walking down the street and hearing Aretha out somebody's window, you know, doing Until You Come Back to Me. Mm -hmm. And it was like you could hear it and it would fill the street and stop you in your tracks. People don't understand, like they, they talk about Aretha and about her voice, but there was a quality to her voice. I think it's lost in CDs now. Mm -hmm. But if, if, Back in the wax, it was different. And cats had speakers, and they would put the speakers in the window. And you walk in, and, and out for a moment, you wasn't savage no more. Yeah, took you somewhere else. For a moment, you were something else. You heard her voice, and you were transformed to a, a different life. Like, and that life, as you say, had hope. It was hopeful, and it was warm. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't was facing you when around you the corner. It, it wasn't seeing seeing uh, arms or uh, seeing a foot stick out of a out of a, a lot down what now was called Marcus Garvey, which was Sumner Avenue. You dead bodies would get dropped in the fucking see, lots. I see my first you know? on Saratoga. You know where the library is? There yes. used to be a yes. vacant lot yes. right over yes. there. I seen my I seen East first New York, time. They would get dumped all through East New York up in that area. And you walk past and if somebody lost yeah. That's why they said do or die because if you mm -hmm. lost, that's where you lay. When you, know? you say that now, and you being an artist, and you being someone with this perspective, what would you say to the messaging now that our young people or young gray would be seeing in this day and age? knowing now what the content of this music is and everything. And you somebody who, just so our listeners know, like there was a club back in the day called Cloud that we, some people who listen to this may know about Cloud or not, but it basically was a speakeasy. Right. And it was basically you. It was it was it was, it was, it was, it was and myself and I, I, I said James, I said, our yeah. brother, but you yeah. you provided the space. So you you understand culture and art and 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 music on a level you're not talking we're not talking about a lot of it because we're talking about some other stuff but somewhat for someone who understands this what do you say when you know what the content is today and what these young people are being exposed to 
Like, what is that providing? Like, you, you know, is it hopeful? It, is it, it what? It is, it, it is by design. It is designed to take your hope away. It is not by accident. Um, what we live in is, um, what we live in is a society that was built on a protection racket. <laughs> Straight protection racket. That's how, well, that's why we speak English. Listen, when you, you got not I don't, I'm thinking about what you just said. That's a, that's a very, that's a very profound statement. It's straight protection. I mean, uh, uh, they had people coming over here, and it was the new world. It was it was African technology that allowed them to travel back and forth over here when they thought the earth was flat, and, and and they were all dying in the water. So it was only criminals that was working them boats because they want nobody want that job because such you would die and, and you die until they got a hold of these Africans and these Africans showed them how to navigate the the. Uh, the Gulf Stream and 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 the so now called the trade winds and they could navigate the globe. Now they're over in this new world and it's like, oh, you know, let us use these cats to. Keep we contaminate our area. We destroyed our area. That's all black plagued out now. It's all all screwed up. But we got this fresh dip place. We can do this and we can rewrite. We can. Uh, uh, write write stuff in the Bible and use religion to to uh, to get these people to, to justify us keeping them. Next thing you know, we over here and they are offering deals to several different communities to come over and settle into the new world. But these are all different cultures. How do we end up speaking English? Because everybody else, every of these other places had culture. They brought their cultural systems over here. And what the English bought was destruction. They bought war and savagery. They, the violence. English bought the violence. Violence to a level that, you know, when, you know, me and Mally talk about this all the time. When you start hearing a brother talk about how tough he is, say, yo, how tough are you? You, right. you tough like these white people in America tough? Because they have gotten violence down to a science. They perfected violence to the uh, point where they can... Savagery. Yes, they can press a button. They can put a dude with no intellectual capacity or, or very low in a position where he is the disseminator <coughs> of violence around the globe. And that's how, that's how they refine violence to a degree where 24 people can be put to death in this country. And nobody even talks about it because mm. we worrying about Kanye and Drake beefing or well, some stupid shit. You know, this is what we get into. So you're in this environment, and the reason, the way that they are able to secure it is by running a protection racket for the other cultures. You've seen all the old movies. The gangs end up being protection racket. Mm -hmm. Well, the gang is your government. Absolutely. So. They became a protection racket for everybody else. Everybody else had to pay them. And what ended up happening was, is they started rebelling against their bosses who were the, who were the, uh, the British, mm -hmm. who were in charge of that shit. And then they, when they rebelled, they couldn't ultimately win. They had to make a deal. When they had to make a deal, ultimately what ends up happening is we end up English. And this whole thing is is a protection racket where everybody divides up their places and they get to run their own individual schemes as long as they don't 
because uh, uh, th- then if you have what now becomes America, then you have to stay unified to a certain extent, because if you're not, then somebody else can come and take you over. So you got to put those gangs have to unify to protect their protection racket. And now their protection racket is pretty much solidified by the American rule of law. Yes. And oil by the money. Well, that's what it that they've got the, the ill-gotten money yes, and, yes. and resources that they yes. have. The whole gotten. thing is is the whole thing was to enable the and, and to enable the protection racket, and that's so, why they had the. That's why the sixties was really important because they had to wipe out black men in particular because at that point in time it had come to a head with us. Like yes, we knew, yes, we yes. were very aware of what they were capable of. Well, well, and well. Here's here's my perspective on it. The sixties changed everything for mm-hmm. us. For like for uh, as a generation, yes, it's yes, affected yes, yes, everything. Yes, yes, yes. So here's what you're dealing with. If you understand criminal behavior, and you understand gangs, by nature of how they function and what they do, gangs grow. Mm-hmm. By nature of a protection racket, you have to you have to get more and more money out of an environment because your system grows, your overhead is greater, mm-hmm. so it keeps getting bigger and bigger, and your profit margins get lower and lower the longer you run a criminal enterprise. What you had is is you had in the '60s with this uh, civil rights movement, people have. People told us when we were younger that the reason that the civil rights movement was effective, they put this nonsense out in the media that for the first time people could see the hoses, they could see the devastation that would, that would occur, and dogs getting sick of people, and they felt guilty. That's nonsense. These are the same people that whose families were attending hangings. Yeah. Smiling, drinking lemonade. As entertainment. So they criminalized the civil rights movement. So so what they saw was they saw a couple of guys that could galvanize a whole group of people that looked like they were workers mm-hmm. that would now walk past their establishments and not pay. Mm-hmm. They would walk past businesses. They saw thousands of people on a, on a moment's notice that were not buying in to paying them and their profit margin was so tight that it could kill the country. So they had to give into it to protect their criminal businesses. So here you are. Now we're about to get to hip hop. Mm-hmm. The messaging. Hip hop was always. Here you, here, here you are. You can't have messaging. You can't have a, a voice that is restorative for the, the, the condition of black men. You can't have self-esteem through this new uh, distribution network. They have to let you do it, but they can't have you doing a message of self-esteem because that would, with your power now over the dollar, it could capsize this country. Mm -hmm. So what did they do? They threw money at it. They They threw money at people who never had money before. They threw money into the game. Once they threw money into the game, they were able to turn some heads into the game. Once they're paying you, they can tell you what you can produce and they can keep certain people from getting, they now control the system with money, they can keep you from getting contracts. Mm. So some people are like, listen, I'm going to get this money, and if you don't behave, you're not going to get that money. So they start to control the content. A lot of money. 
controlling the content mm-hmm. and control then who produces the content. So you go from uh, you go from a movement that comes from the music of the late sixties, early seventies, which is unparalleled to, to now because of what they did to it. Mm-hmm. The whole reason you even had hip hop, or what you would be concerned, what a young yeah, black male could would say, is because of the sixties and the seventies, and even beyond this, the music, the voice, like it was, it personified now what black manhood is, and they they. Co- they ain't co-opted They just Like you said They threw money at it You can't and have they, Scott Heron now No Look think about it Think about it. Think of like And people could say All they want Talk about hate Or you hate her I don't give a fuck What people think But We have millionaires In my generation Who became Millionaires And operatives For corporate America for selling dysfunction, right. saying, yo, I, I'm a successful drug dealer. I did it right. Yo, I'm a, I'm a smart killer. I did it right. And now what do we have? We have a, this subculture where some of these hip hop groups, every, everybody who's in the know knows that it's some street shit behind it somewhere along the way. And the white guy is okay with that shit. The Takashi case, the right, kid six right. nine case. He's it's okay because he's getting money off of that shit. And the messaging is nothing about hope. It's about destruction. And I listen to everything. I grew up on everything, but I could call it out for what it is. And like you said, you can't have somebody out here who is going to bring truth to power through musicianship or entertainment. And and they. It's to the point now where even if someone came along, they would have to be so unique and so adaptable because the people don't fuck with it. Like you, you have people argue like, nah, fuck all that shit. Well, what we are. I sent did a DJ party one day over on Grand and he started playing some ill music. Yo, motherfuckers is ready to kill each other in there. Like, yo, what the fuck you playing, man? Like they was upset. You remember that shit? They was oh. super upset. And Ron, and Ron was there. Yeah, yeah, they was super upset. Our sin is um is a brilliant, incredibly talented producer on his own right. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. He's always, from my understanding, always been concerned about whether people were ready to hear what it is that he was doing. Mm-hmm. Whether they could even feel it or understand it. In our little environment, in our little speakeasy, he was able to periodically drop some things. And it was an environment with people who were a little more positive mm-hmm. or a little more open in a more intimate environment. And they were able to receive stuff and they would be sitting there dumbstruck. And Cloud was dope. Was dope. I had a nice time with Cloud. So it's like when you look at, but what you're looking at right now is. And this is what I had mentioned to you. I was going to talk about a different kind of activism. What you're looking at right now is the world is changing very fast. The multimedia is changing very fast. The information network is no fucking joke. Mm-hmm. So how people get their, get their entertainment, how they get spoken to is very different. What used to, even up until a couple of years ago, what used to, what bullshit used to walk, can't walk no more. Mm-hmm. Or if it does, it stumbles. Mm-hmm. So you got cast in the saying, they're not trying to hear that. there's less and less of that and more and more of did you hear what I just heard 
Did you see what I just saw? Mm-hmm. Because now you have open access to it. And it, they're trying to uh, do it net, uh, with internet neutrality. And yeah, yeah. They're trying to do some things to slow it down, but you cannot stop it now. Yes, that, that train has left. So they're trying to really play out the economy, the economics, because they know we don't really have that kind of a structure. The people who have the money were all sold out. Hmm. So that that woodland creature shit is real. The only thing that you will get funded for in this system, if you don't fund it yourself, is something that furthers white supremacism. Absolutely. And the only black talking head you're going to get to hear from is that uh, person. Also furthering, furthering the agenda of white supremacism. That's what this country is about. Like, uh, you talk about entertainment, you talk about music, and, and talk about film and TV. You look at it something like, um, like uh, Luther. It would never have been produced in America. But there's a reason for it. Surely there is intense racism in Britain. In, you know, there's intense racism there, but they don't. They're not. They're secure. Like for instance, like over here, everything is so scary right now for the so-called powers that be, the middle management that portrays itself as being the people who actually run shit. They are trying to really push this white supremacist game because they're not in the control they need to be, and that's the only way they can keep it is by galvanizing yeah, the sycophants of their game. Absolutely. So, so what, you're, what you're looking at is, is you're looking at an environment in here where if you're trying to produce, the only thing that you know you can get funded for are things that further the white supremacism, either directly or denigrate what is against white supremacism that also furthers white supremacism, that also that builds on the myths and legends that they use to transfer messagery to your community. But then there's other communities. And they also have their racism, but you know, you understand, you're talking about, look at how many people, how many Asian people live in the world. It dwarfs the number of people that live in this country. So you can deal with people from outside of here that want to produce something because you know what they're trying to do they're in a they're in a struggle for um to be perceived a certain way in the new information network the uh indian culture wants to be perceived as beautiful in the new information network so they'll work with you if, if you, they feel that, that what you're going to do is allow them a position to be beautiful uh the the, the um uh, uh the the, the, the Chinese, or the Asians in general, uh, not just the Chinese, but the Asians in general, uh, there's a, uh, they're in constant um, uh, competition. The Chinese are in competition with the Koreans, in competition with the Japanese, in competition with the Thai, in competition with the, and on and on. So if you can provide them content that allows them to elevate what they do in, their, in, a, in a struggle, you can get funded. The British are pretty interesting. Because they'll produce things like Luther because they're not threatened by you. Uh, Idris Elba can, be, Elba can be a star in their TV series because what language is he speaking? He's speaking English. Whatever you, whatever, you know, the money is there, whatever, whatever you do ultimately is going to feed them in their culture. So, over um, in America, they're worried about a, a black man looking too substantial in a thing, and they're like, 
But what are you speaking in America? You're speaking English. If you are in Taiwan and you go to a bank in Taiwan, what do you think you're speaking? You may be speaking Mandarin, but you're also speaking English. When you go to Japan and you get out of the airport and they're dealing with money, you speak in Japanese, but you also speak in English. Everywhere where there's money is speaking English. So the English ain't threatened by you. Their culture is winning everywhere. So they can put you in a fund something, put you in a lead role. You don't threaten them. You ain't no threat. They got it. They, they got you. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. Um, Gray's dropping gems on us. I know you Don't know what I'm going through Standing here Looking at you Well, let me tell you that it Hurts so People say you've been making out okay. He's in love, don't stand in his way. But let me tell you that it hurts over. I'll do anything you want me to You loved me before Please love me again I can't let you go back to her Please don't go, please don't go It hurts so bad You know it hurts so bad Don't make it hurt so Give us a little bit. This is a uh, is our last segment, but give us a little bit of um, understanding of like where you are now with your career, what you kind of kind of. I, I feel like you've evolved. Well, um, yes, that's a, that's a and that's I guess a good way to put it. I'm not who I was yesterday. Um, I've been applying myself and applying my talent 
in developing what I what I can do in order to communicate what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling in conjunction with how the world is changing around me and how technology is changing around me. And uh, I've put away a lot of things that were slowing me down and holding me back. I mean, surely you have elements of things that happen in your family. Sometimes people get ill, you know, you can't do certain stuff. And I've had a little bit of that, but I am not interested in what is presented to me as the proper way, the proper way to get success. I'm not interested in what somebody else's idea of success is. Uh, we talked about a different kind of activism. And I've been on the street taking risks at certain times, and I did it that way. Um, did it for a little bit longer than even I was comfortable with. But I recognize when I was growing up and literally having, you know, you grew up in the 60s and, man, you walked around and it was gods walking the earth. There were people who were larger than life, always had it together, who always they seemed to be unfazed by the trying times around them. And this is how they walked. And you could look, you could feel the power exuding off of these people. Like... I look at that they weren't necessarily concerned as much with um, how to get rich or how to uh, sell this or sell that. They were mostly concerned with being men and having integrity and having honor in the face of their environment. Like these people left lasting impressions on a, a little asshole like me. Like it, it meant something. And it changed my life. And if it didn't change my life, then the memories of these larger-than-life individuals stayed with me. And when I was low, I would remember what they looked like simply being in the environment. So now I understand that the best weapon against this war that, is, that, that we're in right now is simply success. Like, we grew up in a time of each one teach one uh, and like you don't know you never know who's watching you you never know what kind of impression that you're making that is a life changing thing for the next powerful dude to come up you guys do things here that change uh, you don't you, I'm sure you understand it to a certain degree because literally you are changing the way they look at things but you don't understand you're changing their spirit when they see you and you a stand-up dude and they see you not bent over and they see you not yielding to the world around you, it is life-affirming. So um, what I'm about right now is being as successful as I can be. Success meaning being, I'm trying to be the most profound person that I can be and try to push my career and be as productive in, in a meaningful way as I can because I want to show the people that are around me what it looks like. I want to be one of the people that shows them what it looks like. Um, I don't know who's watching. I don't really care which, which individual it is, but I do care that somebody sees it. So you ask me, like, what am I doing right now? I mean, you know, I've created, a, I'm in, I got back into comics because comics I could do by myself. I could, you know, create some things and I didn't have to 
confine myself to what was done before me. You know, you mentioned Stan Lee, who didn't create anything. You know, Jack Kirby created all that stuff. Why you know? did he get all those accolades? Because he, he, he sees it. <laughs> he did a very did American a thing, thing, and he would tell you that he took credit for it. He would. He used to say this. Surely he deserves some credit because he helped to make the environment where these guys could do what they did mm-hmm. and manifest it. So yes, he he is a co-producer. But what I'm saying is, is that everything that's produced right now in our environment is imitating the thing that people think is successful. I imitate nothing. The whole way of, of creating creating in this environment is by stealing other people's stuff because, hey, it worked. I steal nothing. Everything I do is original. And I have concepts that I've created. I have a whole world of concepts, a whole universe of concepts that I've created that now all function with each other. I've been in, I've been hidden away for a reason. And they're all original concepts that at some point speak to people like you and you and I, uh, uh, reminiscent of things that we saw and we experienced coming up, things that are maybe uh, symbols and catchphrases for our own understanding. They also come from a history that is not necessarily just the history of us being sublimated, not just the history of us being captive. You know, we are in an environment where one of the most famous prisons in this country is Folsom Prison. Mm-hmm. Folsom Prison is Folsom, Mississippi. Folsom, Mississippi is named for an African tribe that lived along the banks of the Mississippi 35,000 years ago. So that captivity and the label harkens back to a time when we were living in a certain way. So we have things that we can produce that come from us, just like the pain that gets transferred from one, from one generation to the next. There is a, a creativity. There is a life, not just a literal life, but there is a, a breath that is transferred from one generation. to I'm working hard to manifest things and speak to that right now. I'm, um, I, I really can't say who it is yet, but I'm working with this uh, brother out of Miami incredibly talented artist and music producer who created this album based on this concept that is very significant to what is happening in the world right now, a very frightening concept. And we were, I was able, uh, he talked to me and I was able to connect that with one of my properties. We're about to produce an animated property that links up that concept into a whole world of things that is associated to one of my properties. And we're working on it right now. I've already uh, in, 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 in addition to my comic book work, I've created this anim- co-created this animated property, written the treatment, I've created the characters. I mean, we've done test you animations. You right? Yes. Um, just, just for clarity for our listeners, um, Gray is uh, an amazing comic book animation, I, I would call you a guru of sorts. Um, you've been doing it for a very long time. Um, just for context alone, do you have any references you want to, you want to mention like things you've done in the past that people would oh, like, Oh yeah, great. Well, Did, I, you know what? I, is, I, is that even necessary? Do you feel the need to look, uh, my name is Gray Williamson. You can look me up <laughs> you know, and, and I've had credits even before I use that name working for, you know, I've worked for just about every company in the, in the business. I, I now will not work for Marvel or DC. I don't do that. No, no don't do that 
Um, I've, worked, I've worked in there and around the offices, and, and I know how they function, and I have no interest in that whatsoever. And I have no need to uh, to link myself to what it is that, that they did. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So you, you said uh, amazing, and, and I'm not amazing. No, well, well, let me. I'll, maybe I stand corrected, but the reason I say it's amazing is because when we came through cloud back in the days, I was I got turned up to a comic book that you created. Right. It's one of my favorite. Like I, I'm not the super comic book ahead, but but put it this way. But after this podcast, like we need to we need to get you with Ben Amin and the, and the fan bros and the, and the and the dudes that do that comic right. thing that really get it in and and really understand that world. But in particular. Your comic book was super like it speaks to all the stuff that you just mentioned about yes. touching on topics, um, s- small details that we would connect with. Yeah, it, 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 it will go even. It, I started off skipping from place to place in the book. But as that series comes out, it will be. It, it's for adults. And, you know, the best way that you to me, I don't. Like I remember speaking to a, a good brother that I spoke to before. I'm not going to mention his name because it sounds like I'm name dropping. But, you know, he has this thing about, you know, dealing with children because the children are not broken yet. And I'm like, I'm not giving up on the adults. Because who knows? I mean, many people would have considered me, me considered me to have been broken. But we are, we will heal. You know, we have that ability. We can transform ourselves. And I'm trying to speak to that. Look, uh, when I say that I'm not amazing, look, I'm not good enough yet. Like, we don't have anything in that environment. There's no mechanism that is put together where a young cat can have talent and can walk into an area that is set up for him to just go get a job and work and develop himself. It does not exist. And the, and the people, the brothers that are, brothers and sisters that are in that environment are only concerned with what they can do for themselves. So, you know, it's like, I, in several different ways, tried to circumvent and was not able to. So I was inadequate. And what I'm producing now, I realize that maybe the best way to do it is to produce the thing that becomes successful in a way that they can understand it so that when you open that door, that they will step through it and honor it and carry a few people with them, each one to each one. And so I'm about, that's what I'm about doing right now. And hopefully if I keep at it, maybe I will get good enough. I almost don't have, I don't have time, man. So I, I have to be better to better than I was yesterday. I got to be better tomorrow. I got to be good enough. So be, and 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 as Kenny, as you and I spoke about it, like it's stressed upon you. You don't have time to be weak. You don't have. To, you, sometimes you just even if you are not what you need to be, you have to find a way to be that. And that that's where it's at. That's heavy, man. We uh, can can our listeners you not uh, tell them all the shit you did, huh? <laughs> Now, I'm here with you guys. You know, man. I never like, forget. I came into the crib one time. This is years ago. I would say like maybe it had to have been within the last five years. I want to say maybe okay. I'm not sure. And you was down there. You had your space, and you was drawing this ill. You showed you showed me this character you had came, in. and it could be one of a thousand. Yeah. No, we 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 was <laughs> we was in it together. It was you. You were in the old cloud. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. sitting in the basement, and you was you was. And you was built, you was drawing and building, yo. It was like nothing I had seen before. Respect. There, there are not too many of us left to actually do our own work. There's a whole system of swipe files and things where people just grab other people's stuff and they so just that's do it. That's what the know? game is. Just that's what it's be. That's what they try to make it. And I'm not about that. So, 
Like, I'm not trying to be old school with it. I'm trying to do the thing. Like, we are supposed to do the thing. Like, we don't need to copy nobody else. Everybody copies us. This whole country is built on stuff that we created that they took credit for. Like, we come from thousands and thousands and thousands of years of innovation and creation. We don't need to copy some shit that somebody has been regurgitating for the last couple hundred years that was second class, secondhand information. Like, I'm trying to just do what it is that comes natural to us. When I was growing up, if a cat had to do something, he figured out how to do it. These brothers that walked around me, brothers and sisters, man, I mean, if something had to be done, they looked at it, they saw the problem, and they came up with a solution, and they fucking solved it. (laughs) This is what we come from. So that's my approach to doing this, is I'm not really caring about what was done before me. I don't care about what Stan Lee did. I don't give a shit about... Spider-Man. I, you know, I've worked with all them cats. That's called innovation. It's some of France Fanon. That's who we are. Hits on in the end of Wretched of the Earth. That's, but we afraid to get to that point. That's who we are. Because we, we looking to get on that, that, we, that white supremacy titty and get on and man, get we still We still trying to figure out how we can bleach ourselves and color yeah. ourselves and, yeah. and, and and do crazy shit out here trying to look like something else. You know, we we that, that's how damaged we are where we don't even look in the mirror like with no self-reflection you don't see yourself mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. see yourself we see yeah we you absolutely i'm gonna tell you something quick yeah real quick no, like no we're, we're, i want you to end it but it's like everybody jumping up and down about this michelle obama book and there was an excerpt where she says she had never met someone as kind and smart I a black it. man like until it. she met him and I was like at 21 I'm like yo where you been, where you been? but it's like I you feel don't so sad. sister I feel so sad for you yeah like you as a person <laughs> now, I remember I, I, I spoke to a lady once who was not really aware coming into where we live now in the hood they, they weren't aware of how much you see young men with their children they were like guys don't no she was black like guys don't do that leaving for the women to take care. I'm like, these guys are fighting to be around their kids. They're walking around, walking with their kids, kids on their shoulders. Walk. This is normal. This is my normal. So I'm like, you know, these... I went to... This is what I want to tell you. I went to Asia. You get off the plane in Japan. This is, I think, this is what I want to want you. You get off the plane in Japan. When you get off the plane in Japan, you hear black music. I mean, you hear hip hop and you hear jazz, real stuff. Mm-hmm. You get on the ta- you get a taxi going into Tokyo. You go to Tokyo, and you look around and what do you see? And I went from Japan. I went from Japan to Taiwan. You went to Taiwan. You get you go through Taiwan, Taipei City, and you look around and you see that America has been selling everything with black imagery. And here you are standing over the city looking glorious. <laughs> you go from there to to to, to uh, um, Thailand and the southern Thailand call themselves black people. You go to Hong Kong and you see your faces everywhere and then you come here and they try to tell you that you're not beautiful. And you got Prada selling uh, spook images and this shit. No man, we just gotta keep innovating. Fuck this shit. Absolutely, we gotta do us. You stop worrying about what they think about you. Just do us. I'm more concerned with you. You know, you make my day when you tell me you see my book, and it, that's what I'm doing it for. I don't care what 
uh, uh, I don't go to, you know, somebody offered me some Lifetime Achievement Award last week. I'm like, oh, no, thank you. I don't want it. I ain't done shit yet. Like, I don't care about the awards. I don't care about what they think about me. I don't give a shit. Like, I want to be able to show you something, my brother, show you something to have you go, oh, shit. That's crazy. I want to see my sister, and I want to see my sister and show her something, and then she didn't even expect to maybe even get it in that in that in that venue. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Whoa!" And this has happened. They're like, "Whoa!" They see themselves empowered, and they go like, "Whoa!" Or they see them, or we see ourselves not empowered, and we can relate because we've seen that dude in my books. You've seen that guy in my books. You see people, and you go, oh, "That looked my, like my cousin when he was strung out." Or that looked like my uncle when he was holding down. Or that looked like mom's when she was putting it on. Symbols. Symbols. Reclaiming of what, what you know, meaning is to you. Reclaiming of your own value. And that's something about. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, uh, on, on that note, Big Gray, we, uh, we're going to make a move. Um, this is the Brooklyn Combine signing out. And uh, before we go, where can people find some of your properties? Well, you, you Google Gray Williamson, you see me. Uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, Gray Williamson. I have a website. I have a website. But if you see, if you go Gray Williamson, you'll see my website. And, and if you go to my website, it's carbon-fiber.me. It's called fiber, F-I-B-R-E. It's been the same for a little while, but in a few weeks, I'm going to be dropping some some things that are hints to what is coming up. And, and I really do believe that the pieces that I'm working on now, I think that they're, you know, pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. And for me, it, it has to be something for me to think it's cool because I don't like nothing. <laughs> now, I don't even know nothing lately, especially nothing I do. So if I'm impressed with it, I mean, I hope that somebody else, I hope that you, you brothers will see it and, and, and you like it. You know, that's what I live for. I'm certain of that. Um, and on that note, yo, we appreciate you coming today, Big Gray. Yeah, very, it's very, yes. it's dope. The honor is ours, and um, and we'll we'll sign off. We'll see you. Uh, we we got to do part two at some point, but no you know, problem. on the books. All right, no all right, peace.
Daddy Rucker is showing up today. Oh, this is a mellow dance. Ooh, baby, I've seen such a long time. Remember how you see this too?